welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Uh, this is Christopher here again with Tom. Tom, how are you doing? Good. How are you, sir? Happy coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, still, still knee deep in the pandemic. Everyone sheltering at home, stay at home, uh, don't go anywhere. Yeah, still, still here. <laughs> and, and while making light of it, seriously, take it seriously. <laughs> We are doing good by staying right where we are. Yes, we should all be thankful that we are here to continue to do the podcast uh, ha- happy and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd rather not be coughing and on a ventilator through this. Yes, and so far all the all, all family members, uh, as far as I know, are also uh, healthy. Uh, no, no, no one's stricken by the virus. So, yeah. I, too, have no one that I'm aware of that currently has it. So I'll count my yes. blessings where they are. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you know this is a a, a scary time. And I, I was thinking about the earlier t- today. Actually, is what's unfortunate. I mean, like right now, what we're doing is trying to just make sure that not everyone gets this thing all at the same time. Right. But I mean, this thing exists now. It's never gonna not exist. I mean, this is going to be with us forever now. Yes. Yeah, And so it is only a matter of time. It's a little bit just like, you know, there's going to be like flu season. It's going to be flu and COVID season next year and in the, in the, in the years following, maybe. It absolutely um, will. You'll have to be vaccinated for this like you get a flu shot every year. Um, you'll have to watch for it mutating and changing how it behaves. And now that it's in the human genome, we have to deal with it. <laughs> Yes. No, it just it just occurred to me is like I think there's a lot of people that have it in their head that we'll get through this and by June, September, whatever, oh, it'll be done and it'll it, it'll go away and never hear about it again. I'm like no, that's not the way this is going to work. I mean, this is going to be with us forever. Uh it's not not a matter of if but when, I think. Uh that's that we could be stricken with this thing and it's just a matter of just like it, and just like with the flus, hopefully you don't have any underlying or any other you know uh, issues that could be aggravated by it, or you don't have any family members that could be more susceptible uh, to it than than yourself. Um, I mean, that's where it's kind of like it adds a little bit of a, of a more frightening uh, edge to it. It does, and uh, I think what. I don't know that people are latching on to the idea. Even if we get through this hump, this will come in waves. Like if we get to a point where we can get back out there, try to do some version of 
normal again until there is a vaccine. We'll be riding through waves of this where we're going to have to restrict and then release and restrict and release. Um, it's going to be in very interesting. Um, the world's not going to be the same for a good long time. No, absolutely not. And, you know, we I think at this point we're all kind of learning new things about ourselves and about the things we do and who's kind of important in our lives. Um, you know, that that guy bagging groceries <laughs> you know, <laughs> is suddenly uh, suddenly a lifesaver now. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine back in the day when we did Thriftway, <laughs> if we had oh my been God. seen as the uh, essential personnel that needed to be there just to make sure everybody could sustain Mm-hmm. God, yeah, I, I think of those times just when people raided the grocery store just because uh, five flakes of snow fell out of the air. Yeah, I was just going to say, just because they said uh, there was going to be a snowstorm coming or something like that, and there'd be the mad rush, and everyone would get you know five gallons of milk and duct tape and whatever crazy thing that they say that you, know, you were going to need. I don't miss those days at all. And, you know, if there's any, you know, grocery, work, grocery workers if, or the essential workers, if you're listening to this, that are out there doing what you do to keep this world spinning, thank you. I mean, <laughs> I don't think people say it enough. I try to say it from a from a distance, but I try to say <laughs> it to everyone I have contact with. When I do have to venture out for supplies or whatever, I make sure to, to thank the woman that's now behind the uh, the glass shield <laughs> at the checkout. <laughs> Or a bit behind the mask, that I you know thank them for doing the work that they're doing. Again, it, it's a job. Uh, all of those jobs, I think, we're really going to learn to appreciate. Um, and I think uh, the business world in general is going to quickly learn to appreciate those that are actual the doers, the makers, the ones that actually get the job done so that the company can make money. <laughs> mhm. Mm mm -hmm. um, yeah, you, you see those memes on on Facebook and whatever that talks about, you know, all, all the millionaires really want everyone to get back to work because they've realized they don't make their money. No. <laughs> it's the people that work for them are the ones that make the money and make them money. Billionaires aren't making the things that made them billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, the, if 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 we have a few less billionaires by the time this is all said and done, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> no. If it can all flatten out, that, that, isn't that the goal right now? We're supposed to be flattening the curve. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that curve may have to flatten in just about every aspect of life. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, but let's talk, uh, let's talk about a little something a little less heavy, I guess. <laughs> that's what we're here uh, for. Yeah. You were talking before we started recording that you've had a lot of time to binge. You know, strangely enough, though, I feel like being at home all the time, you know, I'm working from home, and then I still have, you know, I go straight from work, which is in one room, and I go downstairs, and I'm in, okay, time to make dinner mode, and then I'm in the got-to-take-care-of-the-dog mode. I feel like I have less time <laughs> than I did before. I almost feel like after I'm done with work, I need to like take the car and just go for like a 20 minute drive around the block or something. <laughs> it's the reason I'm taking advantage of spring and just disappearing on a trail for a couple of hours. Is um, that's the thing when you work from home? For those of us that are lucky enough to be able to do that, when you work from home, you tell me, but uh, I find I end up doing more 
almost as justification for being at home. Hmm. <laughs> like I'll start earlier, I'll end later, and I will work straight through. Yeah, I haven't really, you know, kind of taken the breaks, I guess, as much as possible. I I finish breakfast, and whether it's 7.30 or 8 o'clock, it doesn't really matter. I go, okay, that's when I log on and I start my day. Around noon, take a quick lunch, 20, 30 minutes, mm -hmm. back to work. And then about 4 to 5 o'clock, eh, day's done, and I'm making dinner. Like, that's that's my day. You know, there's no... Uh, I'm going to go into the break room and, oh, I'm, there's there's Joe from accounting or something. Let me talk to him for a few minutes. Hey, did you see this, uh, you know, the other, in the news? Uh, that's not there anymore. Yeah, that, that the water cooler. In fact, actually, where I work, uh, Loyola, our, our uh, technology services department started a virtual water cooler. <laughs> we have a spot in Teams for just us to bullshit in. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've got a uh, we've got one like that in Teams as well that people can come on. That a it just kind of keeps everyone informed if there's a an issue that might affect everybody. But also there's like, the occasional, you know, the funny GIF or you know, I, I logged on today and said you know the computer tells me it's Wednesday. Who am I to argue? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite was we started passing around. What does your home work environment look like? <laughs> yeah. Because most of us didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, we did something like that too, where they wanted everyone to, you know, if anyone who wanted to participate to take a, a video or uh, not a video, but a, a picture of you know their home office, quote unquote, and sent it to them, and they compiled it into a video. And mine was just a a, a shot of my slippered feet up on the desk with a <laughs> you know with a coffee mug or with a tea mug, you know, like you know. This is the only true advantage, <laughs> being able to wear my slippers. Wait till uh, we get to a version of normal and people are still showing up to work like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of maybe getting a pair of slippers to just switch, change into when I get to work. <laughs> You'll go all Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah. And they've also started, we, we they did it last Friday, they're talking about maybe doing it every other week uh, during kind of a virtual happy hour. Uh, where everyone gets together in like a uh, zoom and just sits and bullshits, uh, you know, on, on camera with each other. Uh, everyone grabs a, a drink of choice, you know, from their, from wherever they happen to be. Uh, I thought that's pretty cool. I wasn't able to participate because they did it a little later in the day and it was like, well, that's when I need to be making dinner. I've got a family that's, you know, scratching at the door <laughs> wanting to eat. So I couldn't participate. So they're like, well, I think we're going to do it maybe a little early, earlier next time. Like, yeah, okay, thank you. Our yeah, CIO so. wanted to do one of those as well, and I, uh, I, I messaged him to ask him, yeah, but how are you buying the first round? <laughs> I think I still have a uh, glass or two of some uh, honey whiskey uh, upstairs. I think I will, uh, next time we do it, I think that's going to be my drink of choice. That'll be nice. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I don't know. I I drank most of the bottle, and then I stopped about two drinks from the from the bottom, and I'm not sure why. But I'm like, well, I guess that needs to be finished off. Oh, see, I have a tendency to do that to uh, with anything where I want to savor that last little bit. I've even gone as far as like that bit of food or something. I'll, I want to make it last, and then I'll wait to the point where it's ruined, and now I can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was pointless. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've kind of done that. You're like, ah, oh, leftovers, and I, I'll, I'll eat that tomorrow. But then you end up making the dinner like, oh, I forgot I had those leftovers. And oh, uh, but today's the day we always go grab Skyline. So okay, maybe tomorrow. And yeah, yeah. Then something else comes, and then next thing you know, it's like that's a week old. I'm not eating that. <laughs> <laughs> so much for carpe diem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But in this time, we have had a chance to watch some stuff. Yes. Uh, I understand. I I watched. I I did the uh, CBS All Access, whatever it's called, uh, free trial. That get, I I got like a month free trial, and started watching Picard. Yes. A while, yeah, you know, when it first started airing, and then I actually went like, okay, I'm interested enough that I kind of want to see this end. So I paid for another month so I could watch the entire series. And then, of course, they go and uh, give everybody a free month just because. And so you got a chance to watch Picard. (laughs) (laughs) For free. For free. Didn't have to pay for that extra month or whatever. Yeah, so I've been curious. I mean, I was hoping you'd get a chance to see it at some point because I wanted to talk to you about it. Because I know you're a good, you know, you're a good next-gen fan. Love it. Love it. Yes. (laughs) And so I wanted to know what, I mean, what did you think of Picard? Actually, you know what? Be- before you go, before you go, I actually want to know what was your thought when you found out there was going to be a Picard series. That's that's an actually the interesting point and um, something that because uh, as we were discussing before we even started, uh, I even watched the uh, Will Wheaton Ready Room stuff, and they actually posed that particular question. I didn't know what to think about having a Picard. I couldn't think of what that would be um so i knew i was interested picard was one of my favorite characters but i mean what was that going to be 30 years later um so um to say i was pleasantly surprised would be an understatement i i absolutely love the the series fantastic yeah i was a little uh I don't know if even cautiously optimistic might be kind of overselling it a little bit. I wasn't too sure. I wasn't convinced that this was something that needed to happen. Uh, When it first came up, you know, Matt and I talked about it on the show. And he did say, he's like, yeah, but do you think Patrick Stewart, do you think he would do something if he didn't think there was something worthwhile doing? And like, that's a pretty good point. Patrick Stewart is not the type that it's just going to cash the check. You know, he's not going to he's not going to step back into Picard, the character of Picard, without good reason. So like, OK, that that gave me a little bit of hope that this might be something worthwhile. Speaking of those ready rooms, uh, they waited to have uh, Patrick Stewart on the last episode of that ready room. And I almost wish they had a pre uh, interview because. Uh, Will did an excellent job um, talking with them about it. And Patrick Stewart elaborated on the whole, like he's at a stage in his life where if he's not doing something new, he's not really interested in it. So he was prepared to put Star Trek to bed and he was prepared to put um, uh, the X-Men to bed. Those are things that he does not want to revisit anymore. And the, the crew that we were putting Picard together just kept at him and kept bringing more and better stuff that he 
he saw it for the opportunity it was that this was new. That just because it was the same character, this was going to break new ground for both Star Trek and for the character that he had to play. This was an amazing series. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough about the acting, the writing. Um, for those that were not big fans of the fact that it's not TNG, that it's not an episodic uh, show where you can be one and done and that's fine. The fact, I mean, this is essentially a 10 hour long movie. This is one episode. And you have, yeah, to, yeah. You have to take it as such. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this thing hit the ground running fast. The oh, yeah. <laughs> premiere, I think, was amazing. I mean, that's pretty much what sold me. I saw that premiere and went, I'm going to end up paying for this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to watch this whole thing. Uh, I do, don't think the rest of the series quite held up to that premiere, with a, with a few exceptions. I think there was a few missteps. Uh, there was a few where I was kind of like, hmm, that was all right. Uh, but there was a few, uh, one in particular, spoilers, folks, for anyone who hasn't watched Picard. I'm sorry. I just, I've got to talk about this show. So there's there, spoilers ahead. Uh, when he visits the Rikers. Ah, now, you talk about favorite characters. <laughs> Will Riker. Will Riker is a favorite character. I think he was my, in the end, I, he became the fa- my favorite thing about The Next Generation. And so to see him, to see Deanna, to see their family and their life after Star Trek or after Next Generation, after their time on the Enterprise, I was like, that that episode to me was like on par with that premiere. I just, I loved that episode. And it's, that's what, and that's what happened with me with a lot with the, the Next Generation is the episodes that had almost nothing to do with anything else, but were all about the people that were involved, those were the ones that stand out and went, oh, that's the good episode. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, One of the uh, TNG episodes that was really uh, a precursor to this Picard series, um, The Offspring, was just literally on BBC America before we started this tonight. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and I found myself glued to it even more than usual because of how much it relates to the events of uh, of Picard. Again, trying to avoid major spoilers. Some of it didn't grab me as much as others. Some of it felt a little too fan servicey, or maybe it's just a matter of like there are so much that was fan service that I, of course, went, "Oh my god, that's fantastic!" I mean, he's visiting the Rikers. That's fan service. I mean, I understand, and I guess because that's my that's a favorite character, I allow it. <laughs> but then when they like, oh, let's bring in you know Seven of Nine, and let's bring in Hugh, and all this, and all that kind of goes nowhere really and so i kind of like why are we wasting this much time you know this could have been seven hours instead of 10 hours (laughs) i suppose i didn't have as much problem with some of those uh because uh again uh this is supposed to be picard much later in life after many disappointments and disillusionment and Things like him being taken into the Borg Collective um, and his association with that and 
how it relates back to also everything that happened with data and all of that. They all tie together, and I got to imagine some of this is also meant to give them jumping off points for future um, uh, seasons. Right, which they have announced that there will be a second season. I do. I, I believe one has been announced. I mean, with what little CBS All Access has to offer, um, this was a kind of out-of-the-park moment for them. Just to step into that arena for a second, um, I actually was prepared to dump CBS All Access immediately upon um, finishing Picard. Um, and tried to do so, and they gave me another month for free. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was so... Uh, if you're on the free one, you're not paying for it, mm-hmm. you get all the advertising, and the way they cut up some of those episodes that I was watching was just obnoxious. Oh, that's interesting, because I didn't have any ads in mind at all, even though during paid. my... Uh, the second month I paid, the first month I did not, and I still didn't have any advertising. Really? So, it yeah. must have been for the promotional thing that uh, yeah, got them on. Yeah, interesting. But yeah. I did, I did notice that that, well, with even without the ads, I did notice that these things were made with broadcast television or what, what, what not even broadcast network. The episodes were made to have commercials you could see where the commercials were going to be dropped yeah you totally could uh and to be honest i think they missed an opportunity with uh they're never going to be able to compete with the netflixes and the uh primes and all that for the kind of content that they're generating but i think with this they actually they really hit on something special and they should have taken the chance and actually put it on television yeah no i agree I mean, if AMC can put on the kind of stuff that it does um, in prime time, there's no reason CBS shouldn't have taken a shot, put this out there. Yeah, they left. They let me go without any uh, fanfare, (laughs) but I did receive like probably four emails over the course of the next week to like, you know, come back for, you know, save 15 percent. And I didn't reply. And how about 25 (laughs) percent? Half off. (laughs) Like, no. Let's get back to free. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Talk to me when you bring back Discovery, you know, hear someone say that third season is is finally where it, you know, jumps off and it's really great. You know, we'll we'll talk then. And, you know, and I'm prepared for um, some of that stuff to be the case. Uh, Like, I'm almost a little uncertain about a second season of Picard. This was such a neat, tidy little package. Right. Yeah, you kind of wonder what are they going to do? I mean, what he what mission? Right. Man? Right, there's no there's no obvious continuation at the end of this. Uh I mean, considering the level of writing that went into this, I'm ex- I'm excited to see what they could do. But I mean, if this ended now, you had your nice little uh wrap up for Picard and I would have been happy with that. So, I'm mm-hmm. actually a little nervous that Second season might not be as good, whereas something like Discovery, where that's a that's an original take on on the uh, on Star Trek at the time. Um, I'm prepared for the first and second seasons to be kind of rocky because Next Generation was terrible at the beginning. Oh yeah, 
So, but you had to hang in there. You had to just uh, be a little interested and let the writing develop and let the characters develop. And and it did. It got there. Well, we'll see about Picard. I think the writing... I was a little disappointed by the time we got to the end. I found the finale to be like, oh, we're going to do that story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were so many plot points. That I was kind of like... The writing was not only on the wall, it was on the ceiling, the floor, it was floating like all the displays, you know, on, on you know, some of these major plot points. It's like, oh my God, well, I know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think so much of the writing just, it it really felt like, oh, this is great. This is great. Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Oh, okay. How do we get out of it? Um, huh. Well, we'll just do this. You know, and then the transporter or something, you know, and then they use the transporter. That's really what it kind of felt like. No, I don't use the transporter, by the way, folks, just let you know. But you get you know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, uh, (laughs) because this has actually inspired me to go and start watching Enterprise again. And that that was the. You mentioned the transporter and I just I'm laughing because. Because that was the the secret save at the end of the first episode of Enterprise, because they've never used the transporter on people that way before. So right. that's the big save for Archer <laughs> in the first episode. Um, but all of that aside, um, yes, I you do get a couple of spots where there's just some obvious plot points, some uh, a, a little clumsy things, just to get to the. You, the Tootsie Roll center of the Tootsie Pop. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you had to you had to deal with a couple of uh, the stuff where they're like maybe not so sure, just to get to those those golden moments. Um, and I really don't want to talk about it because it's still too new. Uh, but yeah. in the the final thing, Picard and Data together. Um, I'll leave it at that. That's a moment. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm not going to say that there weren't good moments. You know, in by the time you get to the finale, uh, just saying that the the finale as a whole left me wanting a little more. I, I really felt like this show started at the best it could do, and then just there was like a, just a cr- gradual decline through the rest of the series, which disappointed me some. I, I was really hoping for a little bit more. I I, I knew it wasn't going to keep getting better. You know, when it starts out that strong, I just feel like okay, I'm I'm not going to sit here and think oh. The next episode is going to blow my mind. And no, it's just, I was hoping for a little bit more of an even ride. And I just, I, I could see the the decline a little bit throughout the uh, the 10 episodes. But yes, there are some fantastic moments. And of course, they know how to write for Picard. They know how to write those lines where, you know, someone's like, I, I don't have any choice. And his reply is like, that just shows an incredible lack of imagination. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Picard line. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, no, it was a lot of fun for that. But, I mean, there are there are times uh, you could have lifted Picard completely out of the series, and I still would have liked a lot of it because, and as they were referring to it, the motley crew aboard the ship that uh, Picard ends up on, and I couldn't remember the name of the thing to save my soul. Uh, I'm assuming it had one. I have no idea. <laughs> it, it did. It got said a couple of times, and that was about it. Um, but no, the the captain of that ship and his hologram crew, which were <laughs> all versions of him, 
yeah. was just awesome. The Rafi character that uh, um, had a relationship with Picard in in days between TNG and now, she was really interesting. Um, and how do you like the fact? That, how, how awesome was that? That she that we finally had a character that was actually living at Vasquez Rocks, and they were actually supposed to be Vasquez Rocks. Yes. <laughs> Vasquez rocks were in Star Trek, and they're as Vasquez rocks. <laughs> no, that's actually one of the things uh, Will Wheaton picked on heavily, <laughs> uh, right? Right when that episode aired, because he just kind of lost it to himself. Going there, it is. <laughs> we use that all the time. <laughs> yep. Any minute now, Kirk and the Gorn are going to be rounding the corner. You better hurry. <laughs> this is awesome. And her trailer is just parked there. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, her character is fantastic. I love the relationship that they had. She had with Picard. Uh, it, yeah, that was just moments. I think the characters were written better than some of the things that they had to do right. with the characters. I, I'll take Picard over anything I've seen in Discovery so far. Very true. Very true. So. I, I, and I know you have been very disillusioned by Star Trek over the past, like, 10 years or so. So I have. I have. <laughs> so uh, anything that gets you to, to, to have a little glimmer of hope. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, and this and this did. This gave me a little bit of hope for, for Star Trek, that there, there there is still future for Star Trek. So, And because I did watch all those Ready Room episodes, it was actually... Uh, Especially everything going on right now, um, and it was just very poignant uh, as he's interviewing uh, Patrick Stewart. Um, Patrick uh, actually stops and says, I do not want to sound pompous here, but I think we're at a time where the world needs Star Trek again. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it needs that sort of um, that message of hope. Uh, it, it needs Star Trek like next generation Star Trek, yes. like maybe a little bit of Picard. I don't think it needs it like the J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek. It doesn't need it like Discovery Star Trek. Uh, no. I think the spirit of Trek, I think, is missing from those. So, yeah, I, I think it needs the, 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 the old Trek, the spirit of the old Trek, the we can be better. Yes, that we should and, be better. That we exactly. need to learn from the things that we do and rise above. Yeah, exactly. No, I absolutely think uh, Star Trek has a place in today's world, and it's it's an important place. And yeah, I, I mean, I'll always carry Star Trek with me. That's a lot of a lot of who I am is because of Star Trek. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. Uh, the idea that we should be solving problems together through negotiation and understanding rather than beat the crap out of each other till no one's standing that right we need more of the former not the latter yeah actually well i'm glad you enjoyed it i'm glad you got a chance to watch it um i'm glad we got a chance to talk about it and yeah. you know hopefully there will be a season two apparently uh patrick stewart's uh, asked Whoopi goldberg if she'll come on for season two so we might see some guinan Wow, I didn't actually know that. That's <laughs> yeah. nice. Uh, sorry if I spoiled that for you, because that would have been a pretty awesome. Uh... <laughs> One, it's got to happen, and two, how does it happen? <laughs> right. So I, I, I think that could be very interesting. Here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later. Um, yeah, to see where 
where Guinan ends up and see Picard meet up with her again, that would be very interesting. I'd I'd like that. I would. That would be a whole lot of fun. Yes. And you know, and now that it's been done and it's been pretty successful, you kind of wonder: Will we see? Will we see Jordy? You know, will we see Wesley? Someone, someone else. Uh, another podcast I was listening to was like, "What the hell happened to Wesley?" Would you be interested in seeing what the heck happened to him? I mean, he goes off to be a Native American shaman or something, and that's the last we see of him. <laughs> oh, my God. Will Wayton would wet himself. Because <laughs> after so many years of angst over his uh, his leaving track, to, to come back to it would just probably make him lose his mind. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Good point. But he'd do it, and he'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. But yeah, and or you know, Worf would be you know I'd love to know what the heck happened to Worf. Well, last we saw him, he was a captain, you know, on on Deep Space Nine. Was he had been promoted to captain? Hadn't he? I think so. I kind of lost I, track with Deep Space Nine. As did I. Yeah, I'm talking basically just on what I think I, I heard. I do know. Yes, I, he, I, uh, he was at least the commanding officer, whatever rank he held. I do not know, but uh, he was the commanding officer on the Defiant. Uh, so yes, that'd be uh, fantastic to kind of see what happened to him, and I, I, I hopefully, not everyone has to have done great. I kind of like that they gave the Rikers. I mean, they have a great life, but they had a dark chapter. There's yes. still a dark moment in their lives, and I thought that's good. See that, and that's the kind that's of little, life. The, yeah, that's life exactly, and I, that's what I like. And how do they handle it? You know, they. They don't give up. They continue living life. And the, that fantastic line. I mean, first we got Deanna Troy, who's Beta Z, who can. Um, She's an empath. Empath. She can sense people's emotions. And there's the the moment where Picard asks how their daughter's doing. I'm like, yeah, and this is, oh, I hate giving the, the, these kind of spoilers, but it's such a great moment. And, but he asks, you know, how is she doing? He's like. Every day she hurts a little less, and Picard says, and that must make you hurt even more, you know, a little bit more. I'm like, oh, God, that just melts me. That's why I just, I loved that episode. Yes, and that's, no. moments like that are why. It just absolutely melts me. Yeah, and it, yeah, there was a there was fan service in that, but I think that was such a good episode and such an important one, especially where it's, position it is dead center of the season mm-hmm. yeah um, it's entirely meant to um because where parkard is and where he still needs to go he needed an anchor point otherwise he was lost yeah. and they were his anchor and i loved uh i loved how Riker, as he's i guess just in the reserves he's in like federation reserves active starfleet reserves. reserves active reserves but he's still sort of um runs his life as if he's like in command of a ship. I mean, he's he's making pizza and it looks like a pizza's burning and he goes to check on it and uh, cancel red alert. Just a tomato <laughs> fell off. <laughs> like, oh, I love it. I mean, he lived his entire life. That's what that was his entire life. So, of course, that's the way he's going to be. Well, I was uh I was uh, having a little fun with the moment where Despite the beautiful setting that they're in, apparently uh, it's not always the safest of places. So, um, 
Yeah, his house has shields. <laughs> he, he is capable at a moment's notice putting the, the, his household on offensive. <laughs> like, that was awesome. Yes. I just picture phase cannons coming out of this. Yeah, I wonder. Thing. Yeah, I wonder, if, is it strictly a defensive or yeah, is there offensive measures he, <laughs> that yeah, can be taken? Yeah, because he started defensive and then he started getting a little more aggressive with it, like Scan for cloaking signatures. I'm like, right. wait a minute, what are you about to do? Yes. So yes, his house has shields and a full sensor array. <laughs> Absolutely. Next. So I would not know, be surprised. Would not be surprised if the eaves of eaves of his house are actually phaser banks. <laughs> <laughs> actually, what you're going to f- learn in uh, a future season, um, s- since he does show up on a starship at one point. Um, that that spot in the ground just folded up around itself, and that became the starship. Yeah. No, he was actually still on his house. That was a holodeck, and it was a uh, it was like his telepresence, and yeah. Oh, you don't even want to get into that. Yeah, he, he the entire starship is a drone, and he's running from his bathroom. Right. <laughs> Gives new meaning to Captain's Log. Uh, <laughs> yes, someone had to go there. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing what season two. I will uh, I will sign back up, free or not, for CBS long enough to watch another season of Picard. Yeah, and uh, and then while I'm there, had if Discovery season three happens, and I uh, might check that. That's and, when you catch up on that too. Exactly. Or CBS if the, All Access is going to have to get used to people uh, um, paying for it for a month at a time. Maybe once a year. Yeah, because I'm sorry, but you know, reruns of Hawaii Five O or something is not worth the ten bucks a month or whatever it is to me. <laughs> I can't imagine paying for that so that I could watch Survivor and The Good Wife. Right. <laughs> I mean, they do boast that they've got all the tracks, but as we were talking about last time, if you have Prime, you already have. All the tracks. Netflix At least most has of them. all the tracks. Prime has all the tracks saying you really can't shake a dead stick without hitting the tracks. Yeah. And and the big fans, you know, the the fans that have been fans for a while, uh, all those DVDs and Blu-rays that you've pushed out over the last 25 years, we've got those too. <laughs> so why do, should I subscribe? Yeah. Uh. I've got a channel uh, on uh, Comcast called Epics uh, that, that they're throwing Star Trek movies at me like every every other day. So <laughs> I have no shortage of Trek at the moment. You know, and I, I kind of wish they would do a, a tier program maybe um, where you could just watch it and just watch with ads. I'd be fine with that. I would watch these shows with ads. I've I've done that with with uh, some CW shows. They've got the free app that you can just watch stuff like on the Roku. Yeah, there's ads. That's fine. I'll just take just a few seconds to check my phone. Whatever. Uh, go grab something to drink, just like you used to do. I <laughs> know. Uh, I was happy that the Offspring was on uh, BBC America because during the breaks is how I got a shower. So yeah, I I, I think they would have better luck doing something like that than uh, just only subscriber based. Well, and that could be a conversation unto itself is uh, how is um, streaming media eventually going to work itself out? Because, I mean, I think we've touched on it before, uh, the notion that 
you know, you all can't be in the market all at the same time and all hope to live. Right. Um, yeah, Matt, we're not Matt, all going to buy them all. Yeah, Matt and I have had the, the similar discussions in years past uh, about on the show about the same thing, talking about the different streaming services that are coming on and everyone announcing the new streaming service. And NBC is talking about, you know, Peacock or whatever is going to be a streaming channel. And yeah, but it's like you're going to end up with so many that it's like uh, that, that no one's going to watch because there's just too many. So never mind. <laughs> One of the more interesting ones recently is uh, uh, still being a cable subscriber. And part of why I keep Comcast is they absorb my Netflix account. Mm. Um, I get them both at the same time. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, paying for like the movie channels and such, um, stars broke off of uh, Comcast. They, did, they wouldn't re-up so that they could promote their streaming service. But I'm like, ah. you're... you're you're a premium movie channel competing against the likes of HBO and stuff that showed a lot of the same content and your original content is not significant enough to get me to want to pay another $6 a month on top of everything else I'm already paying for. Exactly. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Yep. No. Yeah. The the whole nickel and dime thing is just going to get too much and you're going to end up with just effectively another um another comcast or another spectrum or another direct tv uh mm-hmm. instead of going from satellite it's just all going to be streamed but it's all going to be packaged into one we'll give it to you all for this price and so it's like what have we gained yeah right exactly all right well i think that we my gosh we've been talking for a while now already uh we should talk about the movie where we're going to talk about oh yeah that's <laughs> right we watched a movie we did. We watched a damn good movie. Okay, well, let's take a short break, play in our promo for a podcast that is probably wondering why it's taking like an hour before we got to their ad. <laughs> when Details. We get, back, we get back. We'll talk about 1997's The Fifth Element. podcast featuring all your favorite monsters you won't believe your ears when you listen to monster kid radio here are your hosts derek m cook and his ever rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies subscribe to monster kid radio through itunes or stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. 
Every 5,000 years. Remove the shield. When the three planets are in eclipse, the black hole like a door is open. Evil comes, spreading terror and chaos. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Mondochi one have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. Select for a mission of the utmost importance. <laughs> what mission? Save the world. <laughs> is, uh, is that thing solid? Unbreakable. Good. Order of the stones. I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you. Nowhere else to go. I did not hammer out a synopsis on my own on this one, I'm afraid, like I was saying before. I'm just going to read the IMDb one? I'm going to read I think it came right off of Wikipedia or something like that. Because, um, yeah, like I was saying before, I, I feel like I have less time now than I did before, so I didn't have time to sit down and do it myself. So in the 23rd century, a New York cabbie, Corbin Dallas, played by Bruce Willis, finds the fate of the world in his hands when Lilu Mila jo- Jovovich, falls into his cab. As the embodiment of the fifth element, Lilu needs to combine with the other four to keep the approaching great evil from destroying the world. Together with Father Vito Cornelius, played by Ian Holm, and zany broadcaster Ruby Rod, Chris Tucker, Dallas must race against time and the wicked industrialist Zorg, played by Gary Oldman, to save humanity. Last time we talked, we talked about a movie a little bit of a heavy, heavy subject. Maybe not the subject that people really wanted to hear right in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know. But we needed something a little lighter, a little lighter, a little more fun. Um, and maybe even like, um, this makes me feel like it was might be a little bit of a comfort food kind of movie. Uh, so, yeah, The Fifth Element... Now, as it turns out, it's this is a film that I've not seen in a while. I have it on DVD, but I haven't watched it in a while. I've seen it a few times. I actually didn't know that you are apparently a huge fan of The Fifth Element. Uh, yeah, no, uh, whereas you may have not seen it in a while, uh, it gets usually about uh, three to six viewings per year. <laughs> 
for All me right. ever since it's been out. It's <laughs> it's one of those that if I come across it on a channel and I got nothing else particular going on, um, that's where it locks in. Uh, I'm never disappointed by sitting with a Corbin Dallas and gang. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I remember when this thing first came out, missed it in the theater, I believe. Really sorry. I, I'm almost positive I didn't see this in the theater, and I regret not seeing it in the theater, because this was definitely a spectacle movie that would have been pretty awesome on the big screen. And was. No, I, I this was definitely an in-theater movie for me, and I, I know I at least watched it a couple of times while I was in theater, and by myself. Like, I would go to it on my own. Just just went, just go to, do, to go. I had yeah. nothing better to do. It's still in the theater. Yeah, I'll go yeah. see it again. Yeah, I think the late 90s is just, it's it, it was just kind of in the middle of a period of, for me where it was just, wasn't getting to the movie theaters. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Uh, probably, you know, working may have been working two jobs at the, at the time, you know, a full-time job and a part-time job. I did that. I bounced around with that for a while. Um, so yeah, maybe just kept myself a little too busy. Not sure what was going on in 1997 that kept me from the theater on this one. Or I could... What year were you married? 2000. 2000. You waited that long. I know you were in the relationship already. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you had a lot of that going on. Absolutely. Maybe I'm just misremembering, and I did see it in the theater because you know this had this was a while ago. <laughs> it was a bit. Interestingly enough, though, as being a, what twenty three year old movie now, I could feel like it was made yesterday. Yeah, I kind of got that impression watching it uh, myself this time. Is this has aged pretty well in a lot of different aspects um it is just a good adventure film the special effects still work there's nothing i i didn't catch anything that i kind of cringed at or went mm, i'm sure that was fine in 97 but it doesn't hold up today i didn't see that with this one no and uh, and since i one of the things i even commented on on facebook uh uh, for the purposes of this, I actually went as far as to buy the uh, the 4K digital content that I didn't have currently. Nice. So that I could uh, watch it in its full grandeur. And if anything, that just made it look better. Oh, I um, bet. I mean, we can get into this a little later, but uh, I, you're a big fan of practical effects. And yeah. this is chock full. It is of full of it. Effects. That. That is, and that is a great thing about some of these films, some of the sci-fi films that came in into the late '90s, is the practical effects were still a thing. I mean, yes. the, the CGI had not really taken over. In fact, at, the, at this time, the CGI was probably still more expensive than the practical effects. Uh, so, yes, everything you know, everything is done in, with model work, and maybe that was one of the things where I could see where there were models at times in this film sure. but so <laughs> at least that they was actually something models. they were great models they were something that was like okay if i was there i could have picked that up and held it <laughs> that means a lot to me absolutely i have this on the you know the same dvd i bought whenever i bought it 
Uh, but it was a DVD. I was thinking, I couldn't remember. I thought it was Blu-ray because I remember it had some special packaging. What it was was a DVD, but it was a Super Bit DVD. Okay. Do you remember these? Did you ever hear about these things? I've heard of them. I don't think I ever got one. Pretty much from what I gathered from the you know the paperwork that's actually in the thing, the Super Bit is it's a bare bones DVD, so there's no special features. But okay. what they say they do is they take up all that room that would be filled up with special features, and they don't have to compress the movie and the audio as much. So they so use it's all supposed to be a richer quality. Yes, that's that's the premise. That's what they. That's the selling point of the super bit. Whether that's really true or not, who knows? Right. But that's the version I have, which was a little disappointing because I was hoping there would be some special features because I was kind of like hoping there would be a how did they do it uh, behind the scenes, a commentary. Nothing on mine. <laughs> it is the movie. That was the, a little disappointing, too, because a lot of the digital content now, especially if you buy the higher end one, usually get some of the special features uh, tagged in behind that. And I didn't get any. Oh, that's <laughs> so I had to go. Uh, I did go hunting for, for some stuff because uh, there are a, a number of them. I even remember watching in 1997 um, back when you needed to do a lot more promotion on TV. So mm. Showing things like the making of for a half hour on some time was actually a thing that they did. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've definitely watched a couple um, the special features on some older movies where you could tell it was some special that aired on E or something like that because mm -hmm. there's actually like commercial break points and things like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, the the one I actually found the one that I remember having watched online. Uh, it was terrible quality from <laughs> on YouTube, but uh, um, it, it was shot much like uh, uh, one of those um, one of those VH ones behind the artist kind of <laughs> kind of <laughs> things. It had that style to it. Yep. Uh, now, this was uh, co-written and directed by uh, Luc Besson, who, and <laughs> this is kind of, uh, you know, we all, we've always said that we've kind of, or we have been saying that, you know, one of our shows sort of leads into another mm -hmm. and with some sort of link. Unfortunately, while just kind of Googling for a little information here and there, I discovered that this one has an unfortunate link to our last episode. Oh, in our yeah. last episode, of course, it starred Kevin Spacey, who in the last year or so eh, ran into some trouble with some... Um, Inappropriate behavior? <laughs> well, apparently in uh, 2018, 2019, apparently Mr. Passan has also uh, gotten himself into some hot water <laughs> for, the, for very similar things. So, yes, unfortunately, we have a link for... <laughs> From out from our outbreak episode to our fifth element episode, I didn't dig into that, and wow, thank you for you digging into that. <laughs> Sorry, just <laughs> I felt like it was one of these things that we you kind of we we didn't talk about Kevin Spacey's uh, <laughs> issues. No, we were trying to highlight uh, a finer point in his life. Yes, uh, but I, I felt like since now we're onto this one, I'm like, well, I guess we really should probably at least acknowledge that this stuff is happening. <laughs> And everyone out there making movies and all that, just knock it off. Yeah, please stop. <laughs> Start treating people like people. 
Make yeah. your movies. Make everybody happy. Move on with your life. Put put your energy into the into your film, into your art, and <laughs> and please, dear God, don't tell me some of this angst is how you make your art. <laughs> no. Now, and apparently he did it in the um, style of, of some French comics, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Valerian and something comics. Uh, yes, of which uh, he got around to making that movie. Um, almost rather not discuss that one. Uh, I was I was gonna say yes. Uh, this movie, um, the Fifth Element, and the name of Luc Besson is what gave me a lot of hope and made me look forward to Valerian. And then I watched Valerian, and wow, was I disappointed. <laughs> it looked pretty. And that's all That's all I can say about it, frankly. No, and, and uh, looking up a few things, uh, yeah, because uh, there's a lot of talk out there about why did they never get around to, like, a sequel. Uh, apparently, this was once upon a time intended to be like a... Uh, uh, he wanted to do a trilogy of a ver- of this. Well, I question that. Maybe a trilogy of films in the same universe. But I've, Perhaps. I've heard from a couple of things where he's been interviewed where doing the sequels, he says people have asked about sequels or talked about sequels of doing like a sequel of uh, The Professional and stuff like that. And he's like, why? It would just be the same movie. Right. Like, that, that's not anything. We were just talking about how, you know, uh, Picard uh, or uh, Patrick Stewart you know, was ready to put Picard to bed or to put X-Men behind him because he's like, I've told those stories. I don't want to tell those stories again. Um, Bassan's feeling that it seems to be very much the same way. He he told that story, move on. So maybe the, he was hoping to do a trilogy of movies within the universe. Perhaps. And, and, and I'm right with you there because... Uh... While the Fifth Element didn't uh, apparently didn't do that well, at least not in the U.S., it actually did very well overall, and obviously has a cult following to this day. Um, but it didn't do well in the U.S. All that aside, um, it's its own story. It has a very satisfying beginning, middle, and end. Um, right. It to do anything else would just cheapen um, this piece of work, and then would either would just seem like uh, as it's been described a cash grab um, it, you you guys did like this we're just gonna do it again you can talk about Bruce Willis who is our star of this film think about the diehard films right you talk <laughs> about you know let's tell That's the same story grab. yeah let's tell the same story again and again uh, but this time <laughs> but but this time it's a it's a airport or instead of a high rise it's over here in this yep. place. Oh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Having yeah. just watched Die Hard two again. <laughs> Die Hard six. He's on a submarine. What? Where? How do you get there? Yeah. Actually, uh, that's not funny. There is actually, I think, a Die Hard six. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Die Hard ten in space. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he runs into uh, to uh, Jason from uh, <laughs> from the Friday Thirteenth, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Now, Bruce Willis is, uh, this is probably his, uh, he was at the height of his fame, I think, when he did this. Uh, he had previously, he came off of uh, Moonlighting, he did Die Hard in 88, I think, and spent the next decade, next 20 years, really, 
uh, really banging out some pretty phenomenal little action films. Some better than others or whatever, but I mean, the man kept busy. And I would still say this is probably maybe the the, the height of his uh, his career. He would you know go on and then do things like uh, the the Sixth Sense and things like that afterwards. I mean, he really put himself on the map. And this film is kind of like right in the middle of all that. Apparently, Luke Besson was c- considered himself lucky to get uh, Bruce Willis in the in the lead role for this. So. Described him as a consummate professional during that. Uh, this was uh, Mila Jovovich's uh, debut in the in to the movies, and uh, she had noted several times that uh, he was just a a joy to work with. It would constantly give her tips on uh, um, where to be and how to be, so that the the everything would flow. I think you had to have someone like Bruce Willis who is someone that can be the action star but could convey, you know, the humor, could convey the I'm just a normal guy, um, could kind of convey the, wow, this is really crazy. <laughs> you, know, you, you He has to be, he is, strangely enough, usually there's always the character that's not the main star that is, you know, supposed to be, your cipher is supposed to be your, you know, the, the, the audience that, you know, the, the sidekick or something like that is usually the one that the audience is supposed to be able to relate to. And then you have like the big star and the big action hero and this with uh, Bruce Willis. No, that's him. I mean, we're him. He's us. He's just a guy. He's got, he's been in the military and he's had a good career and he's been well-trained, but he's still, He's just a guy. He's a cab driver. <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, life hasn't been particularly good to him. Um, despite his military career, it ruined his marriage. Uh, he got divorced. It involved his lawyer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it caused him to have to take a shitty job. <laughs> yeah. He's got a nagging buddy. <laughs> he's got a nagging mother on top of it all. Uh, <laughs> the mother is priceless in this. But yeah, but so he he is us, and he you have to have someone like that, and he comes he pulls that off really well. You feel like if you actually met Bruce Willis, you'd be just like meeting some uh, just another guy. I, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Bruce Willis. I don't I don't know that for a fact, but that's right. the impression that he gives. Yeah, no, it, it's that approachable quality. Thank that, you. That yes, that. approachable. Thank you. Yes, no. Uh, he seems appro- he seems approachable. He seems personable. He seems like he's just in it with the rest of us. Um, I I love that his character too finds humor when there's moments where it's like that's funny. Uh, when he opens the door and the guy's been standing out there, and he's wearing the hat that's got the pattern of the wall so he could hide. And Bruce Willis has this smirk on his face, like it's the first time he's seen this. Like. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like, yes, it's exactly what you need. I love that. Oh, and it, oh, that that that's a priceless moment too. Because uh, I mean, the the dude's clearly not in his right mind anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and as <laughs> as he just starts doing that dance, as he's saying, <laughs> "You like it?" <laughs> uh, yeah, I like your hat. <laughs> uh, and. and, and and Corbin just kind of can't take it <laughs> as he's putting the gun away and closing the door. <laughs> that, but that's 
that's what's awesome about this film is uh it, it is an action adventure there's a love story in there but it's just silly mm-hmm. and yeah it fun. doesn't it doesn't take itself seriously it it takes itself it's 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 one of those weird it's a it's a comedy but it's not trying to be oh it's how to describe it it's like almost like a um it's like a hidden comedy it's a comedy wrapped in an action adventure uh I, i'm having a hard time trying to really describe what i'm trying to say well no because i mean it's not a dramedy um as no. i like to call those um and I think that's part of why I love this film so much is it, you can't you can't give it a solid label um, because I, the only label is fun mm-hmm. um, because even with the absurdity of some of the things and, and those those moments those laughable moments that that pop up in it um, they're there to. Um, to take some of the tension away from the more the more heated moments, but it, it, it makes it a little more lifelike, like like you and I deciding to watch Outbreak in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> the point is not to po- not to not take the moment seriously, but to poke fun where you get a chance to because and uh, and that's what this movie is very good at is it's poking fun at itself while it's trying to say there's a serious thing going on we're all going to die <laughs> yeah i mean it takes sort of the an, a, an absurd plot and kind of almost acknowledges how absurd it is and in the, in this universe that's the way life is <laughs> and, and i like that they stretched it back uh, uh they they set it up early the 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 scene right out of the beginning when uh, you've got the professor uh, uncovering uh, the the story in the uh, in Egypt of uh, this event that takes place every five thousand. He gives years. us the plot. He tells us what's going to happen over the next two hours. Absolutely, <laughs> he tell, uh, he tells you what's going to happen um, without giving everything away. But he does. He tells you everything that's going to happen. And it just suggests, and one of the things I really like about this is it suggests that whole notion of history repeats itself. Mm. Um, this has happened before. It's going to happen again. Right. Um, we're just waiting for it to happen. <laughs> this great evil might have a better shot if maybe it went and picked on someone besides Earth. Uh, you think. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to get into the end of the movie just yet, but uh, there's a moment there at the end uh, that helps wrap up that whole notion from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it just ties in. Yes. Now, so, yes, Bruce Willis, we've talked about him a little bit. Mm-hmm. He is up against Gary Oldman, who is one of the most OTT villains that have ever been on film. And he, I mean, my God. This guy had to have dental work from chewing the scenery so hard. <laughs> now, and, and interestingly enough, while I was looking things up about this, is um, like some of what I watched from some of the specials um, that they had created for this movie. Um, apparently, Gary Oldman and Luke Besson were friends. Yeah, yeah, that's what I read too, and that's why Gary Old- Gary Oldman pretty much just said, "Yeah, I'll do it. Give me the script." <laughs> and while I haven't tracked down the interviews, apparently more recently, though, Gary Oldman um, will pan on uh, 
on the fifth element as like one of his not finer moments. Oh, interesting. And, and I, like I said, I'd have to dig in. I, I didn't have time to dig in deeper to find out uh, if that's just standard internet fluff. Like uh, I am not uh, by no means am I a journalist and I, I did not check my sources. So I am putting that out there that that's probably, that could be bunk, <laughs> but right. It was one of the things I read that that this was not one of his more favorite roles or favorite films to have been in. Hmm. Um, I don't know that that's actually true, but that would be interesting considering, yeah, some of the scenes that I saw from um, behind the scenes. Uh, you you watched uh, um, Gary Oldman and Luke Besson just laughing their asses off at some of the stuff that they were having him do. <laughs> In fact, in one of those specials, it was funny. Uh, Gary uh, actually points out, he's like, by the way, I did not pick my wardrobe. You would think at that time that that would have been on me, <laughs> but, but I didn't do that. <laughs> that was made for me. That was part of the plan. <laughs> we should, uh, we'll, talk, we'll get to that. We'll kind of go through some of the rest of the cast, but we do want to talk about sure. sort of the the. the set design and the wardrobe and, and you know the universe that's created for this thing so yeah gary oldman is a fantastic villain as zorg it's so interesting because you've, you've got this guy it, it you know we're in the far-flung future and he's got the most ancient southern draw <laughs> in his character it's like my own son actually had a problem with his accent yes you know, like that was such an interesting choice to decide to go, you know what? I think this guy should be from Georgia <laughs> or Alabama or wherever Apparently, he was Apparently, according to Gary Oldman himself, he was going for uh, Texas oil man. Te- okay. All right. That sort of makes sense for his character, I guess. That kind of slithery, slimy, uh, kind of, uh, kind of uh, shuck and jive kind of talk. All yeah. right. I guess that that does make a little bit more sense. That's interesting. That just goes to show someone puts more thought into this than I than I ever would have. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun, and he has such great moments with just about everyone except uh, the hero. You know, it just occurred to me. I was about to mention this. Yes, the 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 villain never meets the protagonist. No, interesting. <laughs> Not. Not ever. Uh, the the two people most at odds with each other don't actually know they're at odds with each other. Because he does, he never sees Lilu. He the only one he actually sees face to face is the uh, character of Cornelius, isn't it? He does see Lilu. Does he? Because he's the one shooting up the. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, other than her, uh, and and he's aware of Corbin Dallas because. Well, everybody's trying to be Corbin Dallas yes. to get on to get on the ship, but uh, um, other than that, he's never he's never met the man. He has no idea who he is. That is funny, and he doesn't doesn't actually know that he's the one thwarting all of his plans. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but he's got some brilliant moments uh, with his henchmen. Who you know he he who he paid to go and get the uh, the stones and of course failed and the payment was supposed to be these these super guns and he ends up leaving one crate and then he mentions you know I think it's really interesting that they never asked about that little red button that's underneath the bottom of the gun <laughs> and then you see him in there huh what's this 
That would be the self-destruct. I want to talk about this more too, but uh, that red button notion too. um, One of my greatest fascinations with this film is the way that it flows. Um, When characters do or say something, whether they're in the same scene or not, the, the, either the, the lines that are delivered or the action that is seen comes from one thing into the next. So when he mentions the little red button, we go to the, uh, the Mangalores and the little red button gets pushed and boom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this whole movie flows that way. Yeah. There's uh, another moment when uh, uh, someone's trying to explain, you know, what the fifth element is and it bounces back and forth uh, with Cornelius telling the story. Oh, it's uh, uh, Cornelius uh, is in there and talking with his uh, his protege mm-hmm. and Lilu's there and they're about to go over the the stones and this is even before the little red button thing and as he's as he's talking to Lilu and Lilu is speaking in the uh, the language that she's speaking um, um, as she's speaking and he's translating. And she points out where the stones are. Right. And that's when he opens the case and goes, they're not here. Yeah. Where are the stones? And then you go back to Cornelius. <laughs> then you go back to Lilu laughing. What do you mean they're yes. not? They, they, they weren't there in the case. And I love that. That whole, There's no point. Even when there's not action going on, the action of the storytelling is very much present. It just, it just keeps you pulled in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving down the cast list a little bit, uh, Ian Holm plays the priest Cornelius, um, having a lot of fun. Uh, Ian Holm, I get the impression that he's an actor who just likes taking on the roles that, you know, is this going to be fun for me? (laughs) Is this something my kids might like seeing me in? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you just tell he's just he's he's having fun. Uh, he, he, okay, you want me to hang upside down on a bunch of wires? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even realize he played Bilbo. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> probably what he most recently uh, kind of known for in a lot of the, the geek community is, you know, in the Lord of the Rings uh, films. That's too funny. I really didn't realize that's who he was. Yeah, but I think he's kind of a, kind of one of those actors of, of, of stage and screen. Um, you know, a little bit like... Uh, Again, talking about Patrick Stewart or uh, Ian McKellen, you know, these guys that will go on and do Shakespeare and then do do films that they just, they just think are fun. They'll do the Star Treks. They'll do the X-Men. They'll do the Lord of the Rings. Uh, they'll do the Fifth Element. <laughs> he was the voice of Skinner from Ratatouille in the video game. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, that just kind of goes with that whole, I'm going to do it because it's fun. Yeah. I don't think it's really her debut film, but it's certainly the film with the most exposure for Mila, uh, Mila jo- wow. Jovovich. Mila, I can't even Mila say her. Jovovich. I can't even say her <laughs> first name Mila. today. Jovovich. Thank you. Mila Jovovich. Uh, I'll say her name right at some point, I'm sure. And then, of course, she would go on from this and go into the Resident Evil franchise. And that's actually a franchise worth watching, having just recently rewatched them all. No, there's some films that 
they're not great, but that's still a damn fun series. She's a fantastic action star. She is a fantastic action star. And actually, again, going back to some of the stuff that I've rewatched on how they made it, I mean, she worked real damn hard um, doing this role. Uh, She did everything she could to do as many stunts as she could, Mm -hmm. despite not having any particular training in any of those areas. I mean, she's known more for being a model at the time than for being an actress. So... Yeah, <laughs> this was a big deal, and I, and it clearly paid off. I mean, if without Lilu, uh, I don't think there would be any of her role in um, Resident Evil. The other, uh, probably the, the last really big name is uh, Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod, who is <laughs> uh, apparently not a big, uh, well liked by a few friends of mine. The <laughs> <laughs> no, so they really didn't like his character. Um, he is a little, a little extreme. <laughs> he is a lot of extreme, but but I mean, he's supposed to be a lot yes. of extreme. I mean, he is the preeminent DJ of the galaxy. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger personality than that. <laughs> I, I read somewhere that uh, Bassan wanted him to be kind of like a mix of uh, Michael Jackson and Prince. Interestingly, uh, I just did read, too, that uh, um, he wanted Prince for that role. Yeah. At the time. And that uh, apparently that was not something. Uh, there there was either miscommunication in what exactly was good to happen, but uh, Prince was not interested in the role. <laughs> Well, good for Chris Tucker because he would this kind of um, kind of started. He'd done a few films prior to this, but I think this was kind of one of the films that I keep saying this. But then you tell me that it had, didn't do all that well here in the U.S. And I guess maybe maybe it was lucky that Chris Tucker got something like Rush Hour with Jackie Chan because uh, that really set his star on the rise. It, it did, and and this is the movie that pro, that got him noticed. Um, and, and interestingly enough, yeah, it it, uh, it it like made less than seventy million dollars in the U.S. when during its box office run, but then more than made up that ground worldwide. I mean, let, let's be real. Uh, even though this was clearly a a U.S. kind of driven blockbuster-style movie, this is a French film. Yeah. E- everything about this is a French film. Uh, it is inspired by those, uh, um, by the uh, the comic book, book artists, um, Luc Besson uh, being a French uh, filmmaker, um, the the fashion, the, the, the aesthetic, the flow. Uh, it, it is very much a French film, and I think I think that in and of itself is probably the thing that watered down the U.S. market a little bit. Yeah, it's almost you could almost consider at least as far as U.S. audiences go, you could almost consider it it's an art film. Very much so, and that's very hard to market. I mean, this is the kind of film where you want to say, oh, this influential film. It's influenced so much film that came after. But it didn't. I mean, there wasn't like a rush for everyone to make their own fifth element. No. It it existed. It didn't do so well. And it faded away. 
and you didn't see anything like this until Luke shows Luke Besson shows up and does Valerian. And again, in Valerian, you get the aesthetic, yeah, um, but not the quality of uh, storytelling, right? And certainly not the acting. <laughs> no, no. Uh, just to jump into that just a little bit, I was very, very surprised. I got about 15 minutes into the movie, and I went, wait a minute, he's Valerian? Yeah. <laughs> this, this guy is our um, hero? I, I Well, and I mean, you, you have the two main characters of that film, and neither of them had any chemistry together whatsoever. I honestly thought she did a great job. I thought she was entertaining. I thought she was, she a, was. a hell of a better, he a hell a of a, pill. oh, he was, she was a much better actress than he was. And she was a model who hadn't right. really done any acting. No, in fact, actually, I, I'm hoping with uh, all this time to catch up on things. There's a couple of things that she's been in since that uh, I'd very much like to catch. Um, uh, some prime, series that came up or something like that i can't remember oh that's right that's in the uh it's about all the the fairy world and stuff like that isn't it yes yeah yes. i started watching some of it i got about five six episodes in and i just I, I i fell off of it it wasn't uh wasn't enough to really drag me back drag me into like oh i need to finish this no i'm curious because... to finish it at some point but she would be my draw to that because I, I, I mean, she was the only interesting character in, in the Valerian movie, and 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 I think that's probably why I decided to watch as well. And I do think she is kind of one of the highlights of it. So that mm -hmm. if, if that helps, so it's good. We've got several other names that are a little bit more familiar. Of course, Luke Perry has a cameo kind of thing in the very beginning. And yep. I have to think this was just, he must have been a fan of something. He must have been a, a fan of Basson in his previous films. And this was actually something I didn't realize how many films I like that Basson has done. Oh, yeah. No, he's done a lot more than you realize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, going back to, what was it, Leon the Professional is yep. phenomenal. That was done in 94. Uh, La Femme Nikita, um, yeah, the, the Fifth Element. He goes on and he does, uh, he did the, um, he wrote The Transporter, which I thought, you know, the first film is actually really good. It really is, yeah. Uh, he wrote Taken. The man has a gift. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and following, um, that that was one of the things that I was uh, reading up on is, uh, yeah, following The Fifth Element, he really kind of throttled back more into a writing role than, uh, than um Interestingly enough, since we're talking about the writing and all that, um, I saw a nugget. This is a story that he started writing when he was 16. Well, in a way, it kind of feels like that. I mean, doesn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, it feels like the imagination of a child brought the life. It does. It, it does. And, and uh, it, apparently this was something he intended to 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 be like his novel at some point and he just his career developed in a way now i'm gonna make it into a movie <laughs> yeah well i'm glad he did although i think this would be a you could definitely see where this would be a phenomenal adventure series of books i mean this looks like something my son would should be reading you know like a it's like a, a young adult adventure uh series or something like that you could absolutely see where this could be developed into something like that it's a comic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it and 
And in this case, it's a it's a French comic book. Um, uh, <laughs> the last uh, name I'll mention is uh, Brian James as General Monroe, only because he's just one of the he kind of like if you if you're a sci-fi fan, he's one of those guys you're going to recognize, and probably yeah. best recognized as I think his character was uh, was it Leon in uh, Blade Runner. I think I, I think that was the the, the, the right name, uh, one of the replicants that you uh, you see quite early on. He's one of the one of the gang of replicants that are hanging around with Roy Batty. Uh, so he, that was you know a decade prior to this. But you know, character actor done a lot of different things here and there. But that was where he comes on the screen. And you're like, where have I seen him before? Oh, that's where I've seen him before. <laughs> that uh, I scrolled through. He was a. Uh... He was in a Knight Rider episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's done a little bit of everything. He's definitely done a lot uh, of television. God, he was in uh, the 1980 Galactica TV series. Uh, <laughs> he, Yeah, he's been in a little bit of everywhere. Yes. Yeah, he's definitely a face that you will recognize. Now, we got to talk about the... Yeah, the universe itself, the world, the universe that they've created here, and the costumes are very much kind of help make this universe. Because the rest of the universe, I mean, the spaceships, uh, the sets, the buildings, the apartments, not all that different than maybe some stuff we've seen elsewhere or we have seen before. And yeah, I think you're supposed to draw from that. I like the the giant, uh, the Floston Paradise is a giant cruise liner. It just happens to be a spaceship right. cruise liner. But even uh, Corbin Dallas's apartment, it's just a very basic efficiency apartment. It's dirty, it's grimy. You know, it's just in some rundown building kind of thing. Yeah, okay, we can all kind of relate to that probably. And you know, this is something we've seen in other sci-fi films. Um, but they pepper it with the the populace. And that's where I think is where all the color really comes from and all the costumes. And that's what really makes this film stand out to me. And the costumes uh, designed by a fashion designer, uh, the Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, which I guess it sort of makes sense. Like we're saying, it's, this is a French art film. So why not have a fashion designer do all your costumes? I mean, this is the guy that he just did probably did some work on you know the fashion runway and now he's going to go do this film and these outfits probably not too different than the stuff he just had on that fashion runway they're very colorful they're over the top very flamboyant um they're gender bending uh one of my favorite things that i i watched about this now granted it wasn't the designer that brought it to uh like uh chris tucker but uh one of my favorite things about this is Luke Besson actually went to Chris Tucker uh, with some of the more extreme uh, costume designs for the Ruby Rod character, uh, to which at one point it, there was practically something like a ball gown that he was supposed to wear. <laughs> uh, so that by the time they dialed it back to what Ruby Rod mm -hmm. ended up in, seems tame by comparison <laughs> so that Chris Tucker could wrap his head around the idea that he was supposed to wear this incredibly feminine, very flamboyant uh, kind of costume. And very well, and you know, he based the guy on like Prince and you think about Prince and the way, the way he dresses when he goes on when, in his videos and when he goes and performs on stage and everything also very flamboyant. Um, 
and you could argue, you know, effeminate outfits. And yet he is, comes across as this very masculine sex symbol. And mm-hmm. that that's where definitely oh, where yeah. that, that, that Ruby, the Ruby Rod character falls in. Which is probably why Luke wanted uh, Prince, and Prince probably didn't do it because the costumes were far too conservative for. Yeah, that's my that's my thought as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How about those band aids? (laughs) (laughs) Just gonna say, I had a a friend of mine on Facebook that said she really doesn't like this film. In fact, she used the word hate, which I I question. It's like I could see this not being your bag, but hate. You know why is that? And she, her big problem was that, as she puts it, she didn't like the fact that God is this young woman wearing a Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah, no, I read that. Uh, I, I, I held back. <laughs> I, did, I, uh, I didn't know your friend. I didn't want to go off on, on her. But, uh, yeah, I, I think she wrote it a little extreme. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I, I see her point, but if you take it in the entire universe, the outfits that Lilu wears is not any different than any other outfit, male or female. Okay, you want to say that the outfits are sexist? Maybe they are, but then, so, in, in this universe, that's the way everyone dresses. There's just as much skin showing on the men as there are on the women. So this is your excuse for getting TNA uh, in your movie. Make it fair, I guess. <laughs> and spread it amongst the, uh, the both genders. Yeah, no, I, I, if you could get into it, uh, if they had panned to it, uh, um, Chris Tucker's costume was tight enough to tell <laughs> how he was raised, uh, so to speak. <laughs> um but no, if you stand Corbin and Lilu next to each other, they're just wearing slightly different versions of the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're they're both in skin tight, cut off, uh, yeah, <laughs> really just replicas of each other. I mean, even the color uh, scheme, uh, they're com- they complement each right. other. And, and that's by design. They're they're supposed to look like they belong together. Now, maybe she was referring to when the, Lilu first makes her appearance. Well, when she first makes her appearance, she's nude. But then they wrap her in the you know the uh, the bandages or whatever. <laughs> but that's yeah. that's her for three minutes. I mean, she's barely in the outfit, right? Uh, at least not in you know, that you can see. Uh, you see her head to toe in the outfit for a few minutes and then she's hunkered in the cab and you barely see her after that and then then she's in clothes clothes that match the rest of this world that they've created well and even in that moment uh when she is supposed to be at the height of vulnerable she's just been born reformed yeah born effectively Um, yeah uh, at least reborn yeah (laughs) um she she's been Yes, been created in this chamber. Yes, they've put her in this less than their outfit, these thermal bandages, as, as they called it. Uh, so it's supposed to have some sort of function. But she's supposed to be the height of vulnerable, and she's the biggest badass in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked the uh, the yin and yang of that. Yeah. And we talked uh, about the practical effects again this is another one of these things when, and this is what I love too. If you have a set that needs 
thousands of bags of garbage, then you have thousands of bags of garbage. And if you need hundreds of people milling around in a room, then you have hundreds of people milling around in a room. It's not filled in with CGI and everything. I just, I love that about films. I love that about older films. And it's so great to see this in a film where it's coming up to a point where it won't be too much longer before that is just not a thing. You know, you're not going to need dozens and hundreds of extras to fill your, to fill your world. And it's a little, it's definitely unfortunate. That's a subject, you know, all of itself, I think, but this film, I think benefits from it, from that sort of tactile quality that this is a world that you could, you feel like you could have visited. One of the things I was very impressed by, um, is the New York city landscape. Um, and specifically the stuff that was done for the cab scene where Lilu crashes into it and all that. They built that. Um, New York was a miniature in all of its detail, and they used it to full effect. The cab, uh, one of the things that I was particularly fond of in some of the stuff I was watching is uh, that cab. Um, I actually got to see this, the scene where they put the cab. It, it It's on its... Uh, it's little uh, whatever mechanism they use to rock it around, but uh, um, as it's put against the green screen so that they can fill in the miniature later, the, it, the scene where the uh, police are shooting at it, um, that cab, they had squibs go off on the cab. Nice. Um, all of that was a physical effect, so there, was no, there wasn't even CGI for when they were shooting at the thing. They literally replicated it getting Nice. <laughs> I like that was so cool to, not not that the not just the amount of detail they put into doing it but yes the physicality of it. So yeah, one of the things that stood out for me was when the cab got all shot up. They more or less shot up the cab. It was awesome. <laughs> things I could point out that are problems, you know, that could are plot holes or that are you know, like I, I even I mentioned it earlier that the great evil always comes to Earth. You know, uh, why why doesn't it go to one of these other worlds? That we we find out that there are aliens, there are other um, you know inhabited planets elsewhere in this universe. Why doesn't it go there? So yeah, there are things and problems I could point out, but none of them really matter to the enjoyment of this film. I still think it's a damn fun film. And it actually surprised me when I pulled it up here on INDB, I was blown away that it has a two hour and six minute runtime. I mean, I just watched it the other night and I swear to God, I didn't sit that sit there for two hours. I, I there, there's no way it was maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> How'd they do that? It, it, <laughs> it, it's very well paced. Uh, and yeah, um, it, it's a simple story. It's, Good versus evil, boy meets girl. Um, you just kind of mash all of that together. We're, we're on a simple mission. You got to get the stones. You got to get them here. You got to save the day. I how they get there is just so much fun along the way. So yeah, you can find things to go. Oh, this wasn't that. Right. The, the, yeah, the, the the love plot, the romance plot was shoehorned in force but that's the <laughs> that that's what you needed for a film like this i mean there are dozens of films like that any action adventure film that involves a, a man and a woman 
you know, obviously they're going to share 10 sentences together and then fall madly in love. You know that going in. Well, and that was the play on words and where your friend, I think, uh, took uh, some of it a little too literal. Um, the, the notion that she's the supreme being. She's not the supreme being like a god. She's a she's perfect. The perfect specimen <laughs> of her species, uh, of which she's not entirely human. Um, but which is why she's supposed to be lovely and, and dangerous. And I, I take it it's a little bit, if you uh, jump forward a little bit um, to like Shazam, the movie Shazam, he's described mm-hmm. as being, if you, Billy yes. Batson, when he turns into Shazam, he turns into what is to, what could be the ultimate end. If he grew up and decided to be the absolute best that he could be, he would be Shazam. So right. Lilu, that's she's like the Shazam. <laughs> yes, and that's what the the film was very good with. Uh, uh, Corbin Dallas from the beginning is lamenting his uh, his his relationship with his ex wife, and all he wants is that one woman, that one perfect woman, mm-hmm. um, and. Here she is. Literally, is the perfect woman, and she's the one that falls into his cab. Right. I. There was no more need. Uh, there no more dialogue required, but other than bada boom, uh, <laughs> big big bada boom, big big bada boom. Uh, no, nothing more need be said because he got his wish fulfillment. And I think uh, we going back on Bruce Willis and his interactions with Lilu. Again, you feel like it was the first time that he and she met, and it, you know, and then it was like the first time any of this happened. You don't feel like there's ever rehearsals. It's literally like they kept them separate and they brought them together. They each knew their lines, but didn't know the other lines or he didn't know her lines or something like that. And so he always takes it with that little bit of that little bit of humor, that little bit of just he's in awe of her when she when she talks and the the things that she does and it's like that's for me is what makes this film and and it's part of what makes the whole uh the relationship as simplistic as it is interesting part when i this was the first time i latched onto it this is supposed to take place in less than a day the entire sequence of events um from the time he runs into lilu to the time he saves the day I don't think more than 12 hours were supposed to have gone Oh, I think by. there's at least... I, I took it as being at least a couple days. I think at least a day passed. When he... Uh, but but I, this is the part that I latched onto. When he won the, uh, the, the two tickets to Flossed in Paradise to see the, the mm-hmm. diva, um, she was going to be on it uh, like six hours from the time he got the tickets. Mm. It, 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 they said some kind of time okay. like that. Maybe so, I mean, he is literally supposed to get to the airport, get to there, <laughs> and get dressed and go to the show. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the diva. We didn't even talk about that. That's probably one of the greatest scenes, and probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is her the diva's performance. That Absol- starts out as just a standard operatic uh, aria, and then breaks into like a hip hop number. Uh, very fitting for late 90s. Uh, but, <laughs> but 
but interestingly enough, uh, uh, and I did want to talk about the music because I think the music through the entire thing is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Serra um, is um, the composer for this. Um, and interestingly enough, for that scene, uh, while, yes, that is an opera that, that has existed when they go into the parts where they're playing with it and all that, he even said in one of the interviews that he did for it, um, when he's trying to come up with this particular musical segment and all that, um, he has to, he's trying to keep in mind that this is supposed to be an alien diva. So as he uh, composed the notes for this, they weren't able to be sung by a human. Right, yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> yes, and, and the singer that they had do it, uh, who was actually a diva, um, she, uh, she even commented to him, I, I can't this do is, this. It's physically impossible to get from this note yeah, to this I, note to this note in the time that you want. Yes. And, and he's like, I know. And, and they did. They had to have her sing it in segments, mm-hmm. just do parts of it. And then he had to put it all together in the yes. end for the performance that we got to see. And I'm like, that is just amazing. <laughs> and it was such a good scene. It was a fantastic I mean, scene. You get that. That very romantic opera that she's singing, and it switches into that uh, that that very grittier uh, dance number right. kind of and thing, and then becomes the soundtrack for Lilo's action scene. Absolutely, yeah. And, and this goes along with what I love about the movie: the way one thing flows into the next. She's busy singing and dancing on stage; everyone's into it, but. It is uh, Lilu is choreographed to everything that she is singing as she is beating the crap out of the mangroves. <laughs> in, in a moment where you weren't expecting that at all, because I mean she's the supreme being, uh, uh, she should be above all this, and all, no, not necessarily above it all, just better at it than everybody. Yeah, no, it's, it was so much fun to watch this film again. Because like I said, uh, you've obviously seen it several times already this year. <laughs> yep. Uh, I had not seen it for... It's probably been years since I've watched it. Well, you've got a lot of watching on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, so it, it had been a while. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to, to revisit this one again. And because, like we were saying uh, last time... It's always, it's always a crapshoot when it's a movie that you mm-hmm. haven't seen in a long time, but you remember loving it. Are you still? But did it? Yeah. Are up? you still you? going to enjoy it? Are you still? Are you going to start seeing more flaws than you did before? And are those mm-hmm. flaws going to rob you of the enjoyment that you had? I'm going to say no on this one. I maybe I see more. Maybe I did see more. Kind of like you know. Uh, there's a little some problems with the plots here and there, but it sure. didn't take any enjoyment out of the film for me. And I think it's because it's the sort of the the spectacle watch that it is. Uh, it isn't so much about the story. The story is almost it's second. It might be tertiary. It's really about mm-hmm. how this thing looks. Yeah, the visually, uh, the sound, the feel. Uh, that's what this is about. It. it, it it, it's a roller coaster ride. You are on a ride. Mm-hmm. You're there for the thrill. The the, the story is is simple. Uh, there's no, 
you don't have to try to figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 this isn't going to suck everything out of you. Uh, this is not an emotional up and down. This is just a let's go have some fun. Yeah, and it is. It's a <laughs> it's a real fun film. And, and, and again, uh, I, yeah, I watch it quite a bit, uh, sometimes paying attention to it more than others. And uh, this was one of those times, no, I, I'm going to sit. I'm going to take it in. And like we spoke about earlier, I, you could have made this now. And it looks just as – this looks as good or better than a lot of the things that are still coming out now. I think – um, again, we talked about the costumes, and I think the fact because the costumes are so outrageous, that uh, gives it that sort of timeless appeal because mm-hmm. it doesn't date it. It doesn't, oh, that's that's just the type of things that they did in the sci-fi films in the 90s. No, not, absolutely not. You, you, no. this is just, it's so out there that... It doesn't date itself because of that. The special effects, eh, sure, there might be some loopy CGI with the like the Mangalores where they're they're human looking and then they have to shake their head and suddenly they're you know they're the, the beasts again. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. There's some late '90s CGI that you know whatever it looks a little. I don't even know if you consider it CGI. It's probably closer. It's probably closer to animation than it is <laughs> CGI. The point is, is it still held up? Yes, it you, did. So. It absolutely held up, and it, yeah, the timelessness of it. Yeah, it. Take that aside. It just. It still works. It, like you said, it could have been made yesterday, um, and unfortunately, it probably would have done just as poorly at the box office, but. <laughs> Because it's it, it it's one of those and it's actually one of the things that uh, sometimes I'm just drawn to in a movie is uh, is I like the other the the unobvious the 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 one that people are gonna pick it apart for whatever reason but they won't just let themselves have fun at it and this is one where you j- just let yourself have fun with it. I mean, it is just so well done from beginning to end. The look, the feel, the editing. I can't say enough about this because <laughs> I did a short, I, I, I did a short stint, um, trying to get into radio, television, and film myself back at Northern Kentucky University. And I actually used, um, some of what I learned just from watching The Fifth Element to, work on one of my own editing projects because uh the one scene where Lilu is trying to brush up on um on her history and language and she she gets sucked into war and that that quick shot of her eyeball just one single eye the pupil broadening to take it all in as she's about to watch this horrific uh series of events I, I was drawn to that to the point where I actually used that eye shot thing myself. I made my own eye shot for a project I was working on. This is how much this movie is kind of really kind of ingrained itself. So it influenced you. If not if, if not influencing other films, it influenced you for sure. It may not have influenced film. Uh, it certainly influenced plenty of cosplayers. And you know, in the geek community, I've definitely seen a few Lilu Dallases or yeah, Lilu Dallas multipass. Uh, I've seen a few Lilus. I've seen some Corbin Dallases, uh, you know, at, at conventions and stuff. So it's definitely it's a film that yeah, it, it found its community. It it may have yeah. not found it right away, but it definitely found it 
you know, and it still lives on, I guess, you know, certainly in our circles. Well, Lord knows it found me. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been saying it for days, weeks, actually, since we decided, like, I'm excited. I want to do this one. I love this <laughs> it's movie. It's awesome. I, you know, it's it's just so strange. Sometimes you just don't know. I mean, you apparently can actually find and go, this is why I love this film. There are some films where you watch and it's kind of like, I, I can't explain it. I just can't explain it, but I, I just have to watch this film every now and again. And I just enjoy the hell out of one film or another. And yeah, I'm glad you can at least quantify your love for this one. <laughs> If uh, it hasn't been obvious as we've been discussing, it, it's a uh, it's frenzied. It's all over the place. There's there's no part of this thing that I don't. And I uh, one second I'll be like, oh, it's this part. No, 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 it's this part. Uh, since we're about, I, I clearly we're trying to get to the end of this. Uh, we've been talking for quite some time. Um, this will be the longest one like, yet. One of the things. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, and I apologize to those that have to listen to us. Uh, <laughs> But, but no, uh, the, I want to at least wrap on the, this particular part, which is the, that scene at the end, uh, they have saved the day. Um, and they make the note that they have stopped the, the fireball planet that's headed to earth 63 miles, uh, above the surface. And when they pan to the shot of it, um, you see the shadow world that, uh, just got stopped. And in the background, you see the moon orbiting at about the same level. And at the beginning of the movie, they talked about how this happens every 5,000 years. Uh, somehow alluding to speculate that 5,000 years prior, uh, we successfully stopped uh, Shadow then as well. And maybe that's how we got our moon. Yeah, I think there's a bigger story. Maybe it's a you know, maybe there's other ways to stop the the shadow planet, and maybe we stopped the moon. Maybe the moon was stopped millions of years ago, or not not the moon, but the planet the, the shadow was stopped millions of years ago. That's what left us our moon, and maybe mm -hmm. we're you know the aliens were able to stop it other places, you know, at other times. Sure. Maybe. Maybe it only visits Earth every... Maybe it happens every 5,000 years and it was due to happen on Earth, but maybe it happens on different planets at different times. And, you know, maybe that's why the fifth element was on Earth because they knew the next time was going to be here because it was here several million years ago and that's where the moon came from. And they knew the schedule. Uh, yes. Maybe they knew the schedule. <laughs> the the Mondachewans, or however you pronounce the, them, uh, the, the, the funny little... Uh, Gold marshmallow people with the little heads. Oh, they, they were great. Talk about another fantastic, you know, costume, if you want to call it that. Uh, just design in general. I think they, they, they were great. Just something you've never seen before. And, yeah, they were fantastic. The notion that they had kind of a, a pin in how the universe works and they're on a schedule. I mean... And that's where we got Lilu from is their ship is on their way back to stop this from happening. And and only Zorg and his uh, Mangalores have set out to uh, alter the fate of things. No, fantastic. I'm, I'm glad we uh, watched it again. Um, I'm glad, glad I learned a little bit for, about you that, you know, if I don't get any answers from any text, I'll figure, oh, he's watching Fifth Element again. 
Very possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that I spent money on it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your fifth element, your fifth element, I'm Ghostbusters. I can ride with that train too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to put this one to bed. Uh, this one's going to be about two hours when it's all said and done now. So yeah, this is definitely the longest uh, we've gone. I could almost split this into Picard and fifth element and make two episodes. <laughs> You may have to just to get it on the on the internet. We may have packed it, but uh, no, unfortunately, believe me, this is still short compared to some podcasts that I listen to. Talking to you, B Movie Cast. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, thanks very much for coming on and talking with me about it, and uh, I'm glad we got a chance to take one of your favorite films and uh, you know put it to the interwebs. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. So we went to discuss what we're going to do next time. So again, we will discuss that offline and we'll be back in a couple weeks. So everyone uh, continue to stay safe. Follow the rules of whatever your state is doing um, or the state next to you, because I know a few states are a little bit behind the curve here. Uh, so listen to what's going on around you and uh, just, just play it safe, no matter what where you are. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.